episode 11 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are adding a different element to the Digest with interviews and other such content, bringing voices, names, and faces to interesting people, making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The USPHL is the nation's largest amateur ice hockey league and the only league to span the continental United States and parts of Canada. The USPHL will field approximately 550 teams in 2020-2021, representing over 100 organizations comprised of 11,000 players spanning the ages of 6 through 20. Overall, across all of its divisions, the USPHL has more than 1,200 alumni playing college hockey in 2019 and 20, and more than 250 playing pro hockey, including the NHL. Learn more at usphl.com. Last week was our 10th episode, so we decided to celebrate in style. What a great time with the winningest coach in Ohio high school history from Gilmore Academy, Sir John Malloy stopped by to talk to us about his beginning at the Cincinnati Ice Gardens in Miami University, uh, then his coaching career from Cleveland Heights to Rocky River, and now a mainstay with Gilmore Academy. When we talked about growing the game, there's no better ambassador for the growth of hockey than Coach Malloy. We up here in Cleveland got a real and get a real good taste of that uh, with what the great things that he is doing and he continues to do uh, with growing the game of hockey. What a good, inter- what a good just listening session, listening to Sir John spin his tails, if you will, tell good stories. Um, you know, the fascinating stuff to me was that, I mean, he started up playing men's league. Oh, and then he just happened to play division one hockey. <laughs> Why not? And uh, figure skated. And, and, you know, you talk to a lot of different skills personnel and they say, if you can, you know, there's that old saying, can't skate, can't play. Well, figure skaters know how to work their edges. And obviously John was, was really good at that to make it as far as he did. And then you get into his coaching and, and the, yeah, I think Scott used the clip where he, he never, his whole coaching career was nothing, not about wins and losses. It was about building better people and you build better people. You get a better, they become better players and better players just it takes care of, it takes care of itself. So John was, it was, it was a lot of fun to sit and talk to John for sure. No, I agree with you hundred percent, Jay. And, and again, every time we get the opportunity to talk with coach and uh, whether it's at tournaments or at clinics or wherever it may be, you know, it's always something to be uh, learned from uh, coach Malloy. You know, then we had the chance to sit down and chat it up with the head coach of St. Ignatius high school, Pat work coach work stopped by uh, with his party hat on, giving us the lock lowdown on what's on the horizon with hockey and the Ohio High School Athletic Association regards to multiple divisions for the state tournament, as well as what it was like for having his team uh, being in the Final Four and having it canceled. Uh, obviously, we know the answers to that. We knew that going into it, how the kids uh, felt, how the coaches felt. Uh, but I think the interesting conversation in both those was that, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It was probably done for the right reason, uh, the safety of all. So, But I also love the conversation about uh, breaking the – uh, stayed into two divisions or three and, and how that can be done. Uh, you know, Jay, you and I spoke a little bit today in the golf course about, 
uh, another uh, possible option of, of doing it. There's so many different options on how you can split the state evenly to make sure that all kids have an opportunity to win a state championship, just like they do in basketball, baseball, football, whatever it may be. Yeah, the, the whole the whole end game is to play for something. That's, that's why you stay in at your school, in your community, to play for your to play for the people around you. And, and with one division, I mean, let, let, let's call a spade a spade. You have the same four or five got four or five teams making it every single year. So there really isn't competitive balance throughout our state. Now, in each section, each region, yeah, there's competitive balance because everything's broken up by division, whatever. But as a state as a whole, there isn't. It's not. So, yes, this needs to be done. Yes, this has been talked about for a long time. It was really, really great to hear uh, Pat say that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of how. Uh, you know, the inner workings of the state are usually a mystery to 98% of uh, those in the state. So it was pretty cool to hear the inner workings of the state and why it's taking so long and how it's taking so long and what the steps are and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Pat, uh, Pat has good ideas. Uh, he's, he's open to conversation, which is great. And I know there, there are a lot of coaches in the area, meaning the state of Ohio <clears throat> that also have some good uh, ideas as well. And I know it's going to be done the right way. I know guys are going to, you know, give the pros and cons to each and, and come up with the best solution to make, what we know is a great game, uh, truly great for all all the members. Yeah, no, I I I look forward to this conversation, uh, and and I'm glad that you know Pat has reached out, and so has City of Ohio has reached out to some uh, additional coaches uh, to for inputs so that we can make sure we get this right. You know, there's you know we talked today, Jay, about not only splitting the 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 state up so it gives everyone an opportunity, but also make making sure that you know, you're not loading one district up always. I mean, it always seems like there's certain districts that, and I know that's just the way it is. I get that. But, you know, have we ever really truly had in a long time, a true final four where the final, where the four best teams in the state are in the final four. And I get upsets happen and that, that's, that's why you play the games. But, but when you have, you know, three or four of the top, you know, even if you got five of the top 10 teams in one district, you know, again, we, we spoke about that today. I'm just, you know, it's just a conversation piece that, um, you know, is to, is to be had with the uh, state officials. Yeah. No, I mean, <clears throat> again, like when we spoke with Pat and we, we, we spoke once before with another guest about, you know, we could talk about this all day long. We could make a whole two hour show on it if we wanted to. And just how crazy uneven things are and how you're not, I mean, look, no disrespect to those that make it you're not getting a real representation of your four best teams. Even when you split it into two divisions, you need to make sure you're getting your four best teams. Truth, the four hottest teams at the right time. Yeah, right. Not even the four best teams. I mean, right. you get a hot goaltender in the last month and a half of the season, well, hell, you're one of the best teams in the state then. It is what it is. Yep. You know, but, yep. you know, well, anyhow, there's there's a lot of conversation we had there. And, and you know, it's it shouldn't be, it should never turn into a, debate it should turn into a uh you know how do we get a final solution so right yep 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 well this week we're putting on a different jersey uh one that i've never put on before i don't know about you two but i haven't sitting down with two gentlemen that are part of the most underappreciated group in the game from the ohio high school athletic association and the wcha hockey we have referee Guy bradshaw joining us to discuss the game from a different vantage point 
and what goes into managing a game so that players can compete at the at their highest level. And from the National Hockey League, we are privileged to have the Director of Officiating Operations for the NHL, a 23-year NHL veteran with 1,366 games officiated. Don Van Massenhoven will be our guest. I'm excited to speak to these gentlemen today and get their perspective on the greatest game in the world from their advantage, not from behind the bench or as a player. So this is going to be fun to, fun to talk to these guys. Well, let's see. We know a lot about refereeing. So does everybody in the stands. Seems like there's a, what they say? Uh, I, I heard uh, Doc, Doc Emmerich say one time, uh, whoever the official was made the call and 23,000 people disagreed. <laughs> so there's, al- there's always officials everywhere. You know, obviously everybody knows the best way to officiate a game is the way they want it, but it's going to be pretty cool to listen to Guy and Don Van Massenhoven tell their tales of what it's like from that side. You know, they get to watch all the nonsense go on. We just participate. So it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, before we do, let's see what's going on with the boys. What's been going on this week. Uh, Dan's got some big news I heard. So we'll get right to the old hump dog. Danny, what's going on? So I've been telling you guys, we've been working on the house, getting it ready to sell. So we met with our real estate agent. So what today's Sunday night. So we met with him on Saturday or Thursday, had a photographer come Friday, take pictures the house went up Saturday at 12.01 a.m. Um, I was ready to off myself yesterday with how much anxiety I was having because it was like every 10, 15 minutes, my phone's vibrating or dinging and it's someone wants to come see the house. Someone wants to see the house. So then it's load the dogs in the car, get the baby in the car, <laughs> go drive around for a half hour. Um how many people saw the house uh, in the first day? Uh, we had three showings on the first day, and then we had four scheduled for today. So those but that, three, that did not happen, did it? That did not happen today, no. So then last night, uh, about 9 o'clock, we get a call. At the one nice young couple came through, and they want to start a family and put an offer in on the house, accepted that offer, and drank a few too many pops last night and paying for it all day today. So, so you, so do you guys, do you have, okay. So you just sold your house pending the, all that, you know, inspections and all that stuff. Are, do you already have a house in the burbs? No. So (laughs) the way it's set up now is, um, cause we needed the money from extended stay. Yeah. (laughs) We needed the money from this house to put towards our down payment on the next one. So like we have ideas of where, you know, houses we want to look at, but so now it's, we got through the process of selling ours and we have roughly 60 days to find a house to move into. You can always go stay with Papa Hump, no? Dude, he's got Emily over there. My sister's over there. My other sister, you never know if she's there or not. I mean, yeah, he would, he would welcome us over, but. If we all show up, he might move out to his little camper in the backyard. <laughs> when's when's the summer party at Papa Hump's house? I miss those days. Yeah, I think it's canceled this year because of coronavirus. But uh, does does he still have the chickens? Yes. So he got down, not like he used to. So in the prime, he probably you know had two hundred, three hundred chickens running around back there. <laughs> 
And uh, oh, Jesus, he was selling eggs, you know, selling eggs to all the neighbors and, you know, running a little side business of just selling eggs. People would pull in the driveway, leave money in a fridge and take a dozen eggs with them. Oh, but I think God. now he's down to like three or four chickens, just enough for him. What what's the chance that you you take the chicken coops from from your dad's house and when you move out to the burbs and start your own chicken coop out there? I, I would say pretty high. I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> How would that go over? As long as they were far enough away from the house to where chicken shit wasn't getting everywhere, I think she'd be fine with it. I mean, the baby would love them chasing right. around the yard. Look like Rocky out there chasing the, the chickens around. <laughs> You're going to eat lightning, and you're going to crap thunder. Do it, Nick. Jay, what's been up with you? Oh, nothing much. Just working and played some golf today. Uh, got nice and sunburned on my forehead. That was fun. Uh, no, nothing really, man. Just back to work and uh, excited that uh, in some way, shape, form, and fashion, we'll be able to get back on the ice here this week. So right. excited to do that. Right? Kind of get a little bit of normalcy to this abnormal time yeah i'm excited to get on the ice with the guys see the guys uh we went out and saw a couple of our players play baseball friday night that was kind of cool to see them and see them outside the rink and see what you know their other uh, talents as well as uh hockey so that that was good well it's time to get into the digest and see what's making news in the world of hockey well you heard it here first right here on the dime episode 10 of the ohio hockey digest on air podcast the wheels are in motion to see the Ohio High School Athletic Association split ice hockey into two divisions for the 2021-2022 season. St. Ignatius head coach Pat Rourke, a member of the Coaches Advisory Committee, joined us last week and said there will still be some hurdles, but there's a strong support and it's looking good. The only reason I'm saying three is because we crunched the numbers and it's, it kind of breaks down nicely that way, but, uh, but two is better than one, so we'll start with two and I think that um, it's not for this upcoming season, but for the following year, but with Jerry behind it and we've had some, we've basically moved beyond like, is this going to happen more to like, how's it going to happen? You know, we talked about it in, uh, the opening of the show about how we feel about it. And, and I just, again, I look forward to, uh, more conversation about it. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's <laughs> the dialogue has to be had it's it's been needed for a while and I'm, I'm glad it's finally to the point there's going to be some action to it so that's good news the national hockey league and the nhl players association announced that phase three of their reopening plan the opening of training camps will happen on july 10th provided satisfactory safety conditions are possible the target date for phase four actual games being played in arenas without fans is still to be determined the Wheeling Nailers of the East Coast Hockey League affiliate of the Pittsburgh Penguins announced on Monday that Mark French has been named the team's new head coach and director of hockey operations. French has been a head coach for 14 of the last 15 seasons, working in the AHL, CHL, and WHL in North America, as well as the NLA in Switzerland. French was the head coach of the American Hockey League's Hershey Bears for four seasons. He won two Calder Cups with the Bears, first as an assistant coach in 2009, then his second season as head coach in 09-10, when the Bears set an AHL record for most wins in a season as they went 60-17-3. Lauren Bernard of Madison, Ohio, was named an alternate captain at Clarkson 
following an impressive freshman season in which she played in all 37 games and picked up 13 points from the blue line. Bernard played girls U16 and U19 with the Pittsburgh Penguins elite and spent a season with the Selects Hockey Academy in Rochester, New York, before heading to Clarkson, which has been the to the excuse me, which has been to the women's NCAA tournament eight years running, winning national titles in 2014, 2017, and 2018. Eight players with Ohio ties were selected in the 2020 NCDC entry draft on June 10th. The NCDC is the tuition-free top tier of the United States Premier Hockey League. Sylvania Northview's defenseman David Crandall was selected by the Jersey Hitman. He will be joined by Toledo Cherokee teammate Bailey Bird. Hilliard native and AAA Ohio Blue Jacket forward Laith Abusala was drafted by the Boston Junior Bruins. The Connecticut Junior Rangers picked up blue liner Thomas De La Sala from the Gilmore Academy prep team and another Cherokee player forward Seth Stelmaza. A pair of Youngstown products and former Cleveland Junior Barons goaltender Nick Beck of the Pembroke Lumber Kings and forward David Rankin, who played last season with the Pittsburgh Penguins Elite 18 U team, were drafted by the Northern Cyclones and Twin City Thunder, respectively. Also of note, Fort Wayne native Jared Fisher, who scored 57 goals for the USPHL's Fort Wayne Spaceman last season, was also drafted by the Northern Cyclones. Boy, I tell you what, Jay, that Northern Cyclones team, they are going to be loaded. Loaded. They're, uh, they're making a killing on their signings, that's for sure. Look forward to watching them play. Former Gilmore Prep defenseman Christian Teo was picked up by the Utica Junior Comets. Teo played two seasons in Gates Mills before joining the Pick 2 County Crushers of the Maritime Hockey League this past season. Prior to the draft, the South Shore Kings signed AAA Blue Jackets goaltender Trey Miller. Northview's David Crandall has heard good things about the Hitman organization and can't wait to get to camp. Super excited to go play there. Um, I've heard a lot of good things from my cousins and stuff. You know, it's like buddies that played with them that love the program and love like what they're about and stuff. And they're pretty dang good team. Looking up their stat or their rankings the other day. Um, good record and stuff. Heard the coaching's unbelievable there. Got a nice program going. Um, facility and all that's nice too. I've been there for nationals one time back like two years ago or something. Love the arena. Love like the atmosphere. Love the city. It's a cool place and uh, can't wait to go there for camp and stuff. Should be pretty fun. The Menor Icebreakers will hold a free agent camp October 10th and 11th at the Menor Ice Arena. The camp consists of three on-ice sessions. Meals will be provided following each on-ice session and hotel accommodations and a jersey will be provided as part of the camp fee. The camp will be run by head coach Sebastian Ragno, who has committed to advancing a minimum of three players to the Icebreakers main camp. We'll be hosting a free agent camp at the Menor Civic Ice Arena October 10th and 11th. I want to let players with any college or equivalent experience aware of the opportunity as we will be taking three players from our free agent camp into our training camp. So there's plenty of opportunity to uh, come and come and make it worth your while and try to make the team. For more information, go to www.mentoricebreakers.com to sign up. 
The Carolina Thunderbirds of the Federal Prospects Hockey League announced former Kent State forward John Butita has re-signed with the team for the 2020-2021 season. Butita, a native of Middlebury Heights, Ohio, was the FPHL's leading scorer, 18 goals, 20 assists for 38 points, with mentor until he was loaned to the SPHL's Quad City Storm. The Columbus chapter of the Professional Hockey Writers Association has nominated Blue Jackets forward Nathan Gerby for the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy, the club announced today. The award is given annually to the player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. Gerby, who split the season between the Blue Jackets and the Cleveland Monsters, was previously recognized by the Carolina PHWA as the Carolina Hurricanes nominee in 2014, 2015, and 2015 and 2016. Uh, some local high school news here, and uh, this is kind of a personal one, but we are definitely moving forward with our plans uh, to have our 2020 St. Edward Hockey Summer Camp. Uh, we've reviewed the mandated regulations and recommendations. Uh, we are going to be uh, providing the best practices that were released by our governor and the Ohio Department of Health regarding youth day camps. Uh, and we know that we can meet all the protocols for safety while delivering a fun, quality summer enrichment camp. Uh, it's be held July 29th through the 31st, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, you can contact myself directly at T Sullivan, S U L L I V A N, at S E H S dot net uh, if you'd like to have your son or daughter attend the camp. Let's get to our first guest from the Ohio High School Athletic Association Officials Association and the WCHA, Mr. Guy Bradshaw. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The USPHL has five teams in the Ohio Hockey Digest coverage area. The Columbus Mavericks, the Toledo Cherokee, the Wooster Oilers, Lake Erie Bighorns, and the Fort Wayne Spacemen. Learn more at USPHL.com. Our first guest doesn't know what to do when he's not at the rink. He's a local supervisor for Mid-American Hockey. He's also the state vice president in Ohio for the Mid-Am Hockey. He won the Milt Kaufman Award for Outstanding Instructor for Training Programs for USA Hockey Officiating Programs. If you don't see him refereeing in the Ohio High School Athletic Association or in the WCHA, you can most certainly find him instructing at the Kent State Hockey Schools and the Mid-Am Hockey Camps. From Shaker Heights, Ohio, please welcome on air the best winter and snow weather driver we know, Guy Bradshaw. Welcome, Guy. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, buddy. Great to be with you. What uh, you want to tell the listeners about the snowy driving experience that you have? Well, I've had numerous snowy driving experiences. I believe the one that you're referencing was a trip to and from Buffalo with um, your co host, Dan and uh, Jason. We went up to the outdoor game of the World Juniors, um, what, 2017 or 2018? Was it two years ago? Um, no. Yeah, I think it was 2018 that we went up. And uh, needless to say, upon our return, anybody who saw that game saw that it ended with some snow flurries, and there was more than enough for um, to carry over on I-90 as you headed westbound from Buffalo to Cleveland. Um, I believe it was Jason who decided it was better to 
close his eyes and just let me drive yeah, that, that rather was than Dan. actually just, attempt to. That was Dan in the back seat. Dan was sleeping in the back seat. If I was going to die, I was going to die sleeping. <laughs> I think at one point we're driving, and I don't think he ever went under about 60 miles an hour and completely had any control. Don't get me wrong. And I think there was somebody pulled off on the side, like on the highway, just you couldn't find the lane. And then the plow truck was there and you passed them all. And I, I reached and I grabbed the handle of the door and you never once looked over at me. You just said, really? And I went, just, just you, you drive. I'll worry. And I think I was texting Sully at the time going, there's no way you'd have made this drive. There's no way you'd have survived this no, drive. No. You'd have been sleeping in Erie in seven feet of snow there's, and there's, actually make it home. There's no way. I mean, we've we've done some bus trips for our, our with our teams over the past where it's just been an absolute uh, blizzard. And I, I, I look like I'm riding the blue streak at, at Cedar Point. My hands are up. And, and I remember you guys texting me going, no way would you be handling this right now? <laughs> no, but, but the funny part was we got to Erie and it was like, we were like down in Tennessee. There was no snow. There was nothing. The whole rest of the way home past Erie was clean sailing. Well, well, Guy, we're going to, uh, we're going to talk a lot about the, the refereeing side of uh, the game today, sure. but let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, just so our listeners know. I mean, a lot of our, local Cleveland and even throughout the state, they know uh, you through your refing days and, and even uh, like us, your playing days, but, you know, tell us about your playing days. Where did you get, how'd you get started? Where'd you play? And, and, you know, go from there. So um, my father is Canadian. Uh, he grew up in Montreal. So hockey's passion for him. Um, he and my mother agreed to name me after Guy Lafleur. So <laughs> whose idea was that? Whose idea to name you Guy? That was more so my mom's, because um, that was her favorite, I'll date myself here, mid-70s hockey player, and I was born in 75. So, um, you know, that was, uh, that's sort of the, the history on, on the name coming you just up. Let, do you just let it go now when people call you Guy? I do. <laughs> like, I'm not going to sit there. <laughs> Yeah, do corrections like no no it's you know like, I, I i answer to both and people have butchered ghee they gooey and gooey and everything else that you could possibly imagine so hey jay the next time he's ref one of our games i'm just gonna be like hey guy and, and i'm not even gonna be looking at him i'm just like hey guy hey guy <laughs> but i'm just writing that down what was that pronunciation gooey 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 hey gooey hey, go ahead sorry sorry to interrupt oh uh, uh, this is gonna be fun today <laughs> oh yes, but um. So no, at uh, when I was two, we were living in Detroit area, and so um, started skating at at two, and uh, found myself with a hockey stick in my hands by four, and um, we settled back into the Cleveland area um, when I was about three and a half or so. So um, yeah, I started in Shakers Youth Program with. Uh, mites which at that time was pretty much accepting anybody so by the time I was five I was on the ice doing mite hockey and uh, you know just rolled through the path of local then on into travel hockey with then it was the Cleveland Americans and um, eventually made my way over to Culver and played high school hockey there. At what point did you decide to take refereeing and officiating <laughs> seriously? So actually, 
I, I actually thought you're gonna. I, I actually thought you were gonna say I'm still waiting to yeah, do right. that. But God, well, I, know I think he was waiting true. for us to say that. <laughs> I know that's why he took a long drink of water on that one to give us time. Go ahead, I apologize. In all honesty, at what point did you find a fishing like there? There's there's a possibility of a real career here, or there's you know avenue for me to go and officiate. Well, I'll tell you two stories or two background pieces here. So I got into officiating in my late 20s. I was living in Columbus and I was actually playing men's league. And I told every official I had how awful I thought they were. And finally, like they just looked at me and said, if you think you can do a better job officiating, then go ahead, come on out. Here's the dates for our clinics. We'll see you there. And uh, I went and three years later, I was instructing their clinics. <laughs> um but um uh, probably about my oh third or fourth year of officiating um i got an open invite to attend a um camp in the atlanta area every couple of years they do these um long weekend camps through usa hockey which are, it's called a DOS, District Officiating Seminar. And so they didn't have enough enrollment. So I attended the one in Atlanta and there's a couple of transplants who had moved to Atlanta to live that were out of the Boston area. And we started talking, you know, hanging out after the sessions and they're like, you need to get in touch with these people in Boston. Um, Cause if you want to do some officiating, there's a ton that goes through juniors and college and, you know, their leagues stretch as far as at that time it was like Mercyhurst and Erie Robert Morris was in Pittsburgh was the western end of it and I like you know you certainly for you getting there from Cleveland is far easier than flying guys out all the time from you know Boston and other parts of New England and so that started and the next year actually I ended up probably flying to the Boston area seven times eight times maybe to do different junior showcases and the following year after that I started doing college hockey for um, Atlantic hockey and CCHA and then the rest has just rolled on for years now I kind of I kind of uh, chuckle at the at the story you said that you were telling the refs how bad you thought they were in the men's league uh, Jay and I and we coached baseball. We coached, and there was a, a local referee, a uh, nice guy. I'm not going to name a name. Ni- nice guy. Uh, but he was coaching the other team okay. at the other high school. And we're sitting in the dugout, and he evidently didn't like a call that the umpire gave. And he was letting the umpire know about it. And Lev and I literally said to him at, at the change of the innings, irony. It's irony, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> And, and this is a family show, so we can't tell you what his response to our response was. Right. Um, I could guess. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, so, and through all of our personal conversations, I don't think I've ever really asked you this, and, and I, it's, a, it's something that I, I've often wondered, but what's the process of moving on and moving up the referee ladder? So, um, you know, it's a little more structured now than, say, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, um, when I started moving up, you know, like I said, I had to go out to Boston and do, a, you know, my juniors, um, if you will, training, um, 
and get my exposure, get my feet wet there. But now they have a well-established program, which is called say hockey, the officiating development program. And just as I'm sure a decent number of your, your, your listeners are familiar with uh, leagues like the USHL, the North American Hockey League, um, the Southern Professional Hockey League, which you referenced at the beginning, um, not the Federal Hockey League, but those three and a couple other junior leagues um, are essentially contracted with the officiating development program. So um, people like myself in the capacity of being a local supervisor of officials, if we have an area official who's showing some promise has come up through the ranks of you know youth hockey on into midgets um, and is interested in doing that, we can connect them with the officiating development program. Then they do their camps in the fall. Um, and so officials go to those camps. Essentially, it's a tryout. You do power skating, you do rules knowledge, you do positioning, you know, you sit down for classroom sessions, video sessions, physical testing, all of that. And they select officials who will be on their staff for the year. Um, when I did it, I was already well into my, you know, life and career. So I wasn't relocating from Columbus, Ohio to do it. So essentially I was a part-timer, but they have full-time staffing of officials who literally will move to apartments that they maintain um, in Michigan, Iowa. I believe they have one in Minnesota, one in Chicago. And so they'll be based out of that apartment and they will travel to different um, rinks and cities to officiate junior games. Um, and so if somebody does that, you can expect to put a good 20 to 28, 30,000 miles on your car in a year. Um, cause you're going to be driving from say Youngstown, um, not in one shot, but Youngstown is the East end of the, um, USHL and Fargo, North Dakota, not exactly around the corner is the Northwest end of the USHL. So. So um, for our listeners, uh, you know, you're, you're an educator um, by your main career. Did you yes. ever think, did you ever think uh, of um, bagging the educational career and becoming a ref full-time? Um, well, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's days that you would like to do that, but whatever. <laughs> every third, every Thursday at four o'clock. Yes. <laughs> I won't lie. Um, you know, I had the dream as I was as I was doing the juniors and I was getting, you know, into college that couple of years. But the reality of it is um, there's a limited number of guys that can truly do that as a career. Like unless you're in the AHL or the NHL or a professional league, say in Europe, uh, the KHL, the Swedish uh, Elite League, that sort of a thing you're not going to be able to have that as just your sole job, sole source of income. Guys who work the East Coast Hockey League, um, a lot of them are part-timers, but even the ones that are full-time, when the season's over, they've got to have some sort of a job to you know, supply income in those off-season months because you're just not making enough money um, to really live 12 months out of the year. Right. Um, and the other side of that is, to be honest, age. Um, they, the NHL, uh, for development of officials, they really want to get their hands on you when you're in that 22 to about 28 age bracket. Um, 
So now they're actually transitioning to getting a decent number of their potential officials out of college hockey. And the rationale behind that um, is explained as, you know, these players have played the game at a significantly high level. They have the skating ability based on being in the game at that high level. They're in shape, they're young, and now it's just a matter of teaching them officials positioning, how to call the game, that sort of it versus, okay, you're official X and we've got to get you to the point where you can skate with NHL, AHL players. Um, so that, that's sort of a transition in the last few years that's taken place. There are still some who come certainly through the USA hockey development program and through hockey Canada's program also. Um, but there, you're seeing this transition to getting more of them out of college hockey. Where, where do they start them off? Where does, where does, I guess, in the NHL development, when they get a hold of these guys r- roughly right out of college, where, where do they, like, they go right to USHL, they go to North American, they go to OHL. What, what, um, what, is, what is their normal first stop, if you will? You know, it really depends on, on the official and where they are. Um, if you have officiated prior to, you know, the NHL approaching you, say you're 24 years old, you're graduating out of university, you played college hockey. If you have officiating experience, you know, maybe you start in a little bit higher, but it's likely to be a mix of different junior leagues. Um, and then depending on how you progress, you could see yourself I know individuals who have, you know, seen themselves doing AHL games by January, you know, and you've wow. started essentially that you got your contract, say, in, in July or August, and you started skating in September under that contract. But, you know, just really depends on, you know, individual progression. So as well as along with being a, an official on the ice, you mm-hmm. also do evaluations off the ice of other officials. Yes. Are there challenges to evaluating your peers? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge certainly to, to take off one hat and put on another hat with somebody who, you know, maybe you skated a game with them the previous weekend or you're going to skate with them the next weekend, you know, anything of that. And, um, you know, it also depends honestly on, on individuals. Some people are sponges. When I was, and and still today, but when I was starting out, I was a sponge, Um, you know, little sidetrack here. When I was in Columbus and just getting into officiating period, um, I was involved with Ohio State's men's hockey program and so whenever they had a game that was televised, I was in the penalty box pulling the little light that goes on the TV timeout light. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, um, I had a meeting with the game officials prior to, you know, myself and the other office officials would go in and meet with the skating game officials prior to the game. And inevitably, you know, I would be proactive and mention, I'm, um, you know, getting into officiating they would invite me to come back after the game and i had some great conversations with those guys and you know five years later they were some of my peers in ccha um but you know like 
some people are just sponges. They want as much information as you can give them. Other people, maybe you're just going to give them two or three points to work on. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a matter of learning personalities and, you know, how to approach different people to, to get your feedback to them in a way that they're going to receive it. I got you. So, so hockey has changed as we know, Guy, since, you know, we were young and playing and it has changed tremendously just in the last decade. Right. Sure. Um, you know, how has that, the change of hockey with some of the new things that have been brought in, um, but how has that uh, affected uh, the way that, that officials, you know, call a game? Um, you know, it's a challenge, just like it's a challenge for you guys as coaches and, and the players who anytime there's like a rule change of significance and, and you've played, say, from age eight to age 15 under a rule and now it changes, that's a challenge. It's a challenge for officials. Um, you know, I will openly admit that there are some rule changes that have been made that I am not in favor of, but at the same time, it's my responsibility to apply them in the game, you know, and, and make those decisions, make the calls that, that go with those rules. Um, so that's do, a do you feel Do you feel comfortable telling us, uh, like, giving us an example? Um, I was not a fan of, of taking checking out of Peewee. I'll be perfectly honest with you, and I know that's been in for a while, but I was not a fan of, of making that rule change. Um, you know, but that being said, it's it's one of those things where, okay, you're going to have to deal with it. The rule change that was made more recently to in within USA Hockey, when you're on the penalty kill as squirts, peewees, and bantams, you're not allowed to ice the puck. It's called, you know, just the same as you call even strength icing. Um, personally, not a fan of that, but, you know, I don't get to – oh, I forgot it and not call it, like, it is what it is. In some games, it can tack on another 10, 12 minutes to a game just, you know, based on what you're having to call and bring the puck back down every time and do a face-off, and they fire right back, and you call it, bring the puck back down, do a face-off. But what are you going to do? I mean, you're not going to say, listen, you've done it 10 times, all right? Now I'm going to stop calling it. So, you know, it's not always what you want as an official, but that's part of – the responsibility that you take on right so in, when you're when you're watching younger officials mm-hmm. what do you think whether you're there to evaluate them or you just you're doing the next game or you just finished whatever it may be what do you think the hardest part of officiating for young referees to understand like what's what's the hardest part that they, they it takes younger officials a little more time to understand you know, and I say this, it's funny you should ask that. I say this when I go and I do um, seminars, officiating seminars, which essentially is the classroom work to prepare people to go and officiate. You know, I'll ask the question, who wants to be the bad guy? <laughs> Nobody raises their hand. But ultimately, like, you know, that's the perception that somebody is going to have of you. If you call a penalty, somebody perceives you as the bad guy. You wave off a goal, somebody perceives you as the bad guy. You know, hey, we've got a, a three-on-one, and oh, wait, we fumbled at the blue line, and one kid, you know, lifts his stick or lifts his back skate off the line. It's offsides. 
all right, well, we were down by a goal and there's 45 seconds left in the game. You're the bad guy. And, you know, like you have to, I'm not going to say embrace that, but you have to be able to accept it, that somebody's going to perceive you as being the bad guy. And it doesn't mean you are the bad guy. It just means that you're doing your job the way that you're supposed to. Speaking of that, there was a question that uh, was put on the uh, on our Twitter account or the Digest Twitter account. Okay. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna pull it up and 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 ask this. Uh, give me one second here. Sure. It, it's it's about an offsides question, <laughs> and, and uh, seriously, and basically it was. Um, and I'll, I'll get the person who who wanted to ask the question, but the question was, can you go backwards over the blue line? Uh, oh, here here it is right here. Hold on. Can you skate backwards over the blue line with the puck and it not be called offsides? That's from Teresa Outward uh, on Twitter. Okay. So within the rule books that I operate, USA Hockey, um, National Federation for High School, NCAA, if you have what's called control and possession of the puck, meaning you're doing what you want with it, and you have that prior to skating backwards into the zone, yes. What you can't do is skate backwards into the zone fumbling the puck, meaning you don't have the possession or control, or skate backwards into the zone where your skates come into the attacking zone clear of the blue line prior to you catching a pass. And you may possess it as the puck comes in, but you didn't possess it as you and you are deemed by your skates came into the zone, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Jay, uh, make note of that. It's going to be our new uh, zone entry right there, backwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thanks for answering that. Uh, we've noted. got it noted. Yeah, duly noted. Uh, hey, the next time he wraps one of our games, he'll be like, why is all your forwards going in backwards? What the hell is this? <clears throat> I, yeah, and, and all he's going to do is look across the ice and go, are you guys kidding me right now? And I'm going to be like, okay, go we, what do you mean? You're the one that explained it to me, guy. <laughs> great, great. That's my luck. <laughs> hey, okay, so, and I know you've come in and talked to a lot of the high school kids around uh, mm -hmm. the area, and I know I, I think you do it around the state as well. But, you know, if someone wanted to become a ref, how does a young uh, uh, player uh, or even, a, 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 you know, a men's league guy or whatever, how do they become a referee? What's the process? So the process basically is the same as player registration through USA Hockey. You go into the website, um, you go to the officiating tab, and it talks about how to become an official, the steps that you need to take, even before you would get to, say, a seminar. Um, you need to do your online registration. Um, you starting out the the level one fee i believe is 25 dollars now which gives you the usa hockey insurance gives you some access to additional information um, about officiating but that's the main step and i've had people ask me about um how do they become a high school hockey official which you know you would go get in contact through with ohsaa through their website and do the same um, but I always tell people, and this is my own personal opinion, it's not attached to anything else, get involved with USA Hockey first, because for some sports, OHSAA does a really nice job giving you trainings, classroom times, all of that sort of um, support to help prepare you for it. 
ice hockey is not a sport where they provide that. So they're relying on you getting that training through USA Hockey. Um, so essentially you can, you know, sign up to be an OHSA official, get the rule book, learn the rules, take the online test, pass the test, and you're a certified official. But in terms of working, you're not going to do a lot of work because you don't have any experience with the positioning, with how to make calls, all that sort of stuff. I know in years past, I've seen officials um, in various parts of Ohio who tried to make that step without getting the exposure and experience through USA Hockey and you're watching somebody skate down the middle of the ice, I'm like, you're going to get killed, you know, literally skating down the middle of the ice. Um, and, you know, it's the size of the players, the fact that they're hitting, the speed with which they move the puck is, you know, evidenced by the scars that my face wears these days. Um, you know, doesn't allow you the, the learning curve that you can get if you get involved with USA Hockey and you're working those you know, 10 and under games, those 12 and under games prior to getting into, okay, I'm skating out here with a bunch of people who are my size, you know, moving a puck at anywhere from 60 to 80 miles an hour and they're hitting each other. Right. And if I'm in the wrong spot, they're hitting me. Right. Right. So, and sometimes you're in the right spot and they still hit you. Okay. All right. Let's, let, let's suppose that I'm a brand new official. Yep. What advice are you giving me? Um, when you, when, it, when you go to, when you go to instruct, what is the first piece of advice or the first pieces of advice you would give? So the first piece of advice I give to, to new officials, regardless of age is don't try to rush it, you know, and they'll ask for like feedback or input or things that they should be aware of and work on them. Like, We'll, we'll pick a top of three things. If I go and evaluate a fish, and this is true, even if it's somebody doing, you know, a U18 game or a high school game, I'm only going to give them three things. Um, because more than that, if you're honestly working on it, then you're focused too much on the things that you're working on and you're not focused on the game itself. Um, right. And so that's not going to benefit you and that's not going to benefit the the teams and and players and coaches in the next game you do when you walk in and you're like, okay, I got these 10 things that I'm going to focus on. Like, you, you can't work, work that way. Okay. Um, I did not officiate as a teenager or even in my early twenties. So with younger officials, I emphasize to them, you know, be start to be confident in yourself. I mean, all officials need to be confident in themselves, but especially with the younger official, I mean, I can only imagine how intimidating it can be if you're 14 years old and you're doing a, you know, 10 and under game and, you know, some parent or fan or coach, it starts, you know, berating you, you know, like, how do you respond? And I don't have an absolute answer for how they should respond because I didn't go through that. So one of the things that I, I do encourage um, the various assigners in the area is, you know, at all, if at all possible, avoid situations where you're putting two minors together to officiate. Right, and if right. you do, definitely don't put two young minors together. You know, like you got to get to know the personalities of your 
um, officials, whereas I know that I have some who are in that 17, 18 year old range. They're still in high school, but they're comfortable in their own skin as officials. And if they're on a 10 U game and their partner's 14, they're not going to let somebody beat up their partner. Like they're, they're, you know, they aren't going to be an obnoxious kid in dealing with a fan or a coach or anybody else, a player or whatever. But at the same time, they can step up and address the situation appropriately as opposed to say two kids who are 14 and they're doing a 10 and under game. And, you know, when a coach starts yelling and not, I know you guys are coaches and I'm not saying all coaches yell, don't get me wrong. But if that happens, you know, neither one of them is prepared to handle it. And that's a problem. And that's how we lose those younger officials in particular. Right. And, and that's, that's, I mean, that's good advice. Uh, and it's, again, we all have been in, in jobs where we need to learn from people that have had experience and it makes it a hell of a lot easier instead of just getting thrown right into the fire. Uh, so with that being said, you've given some really good advice to some young, uh, and new officials. What's the best advice you ever received as an official? Wow. Um, don't put the stripes on. (laughs) (laughs) You know those armbands? You don't want those? Oh, wait, no, no, then you got to go break things up. No, sorry. So uh, there's probably a couple of things that I'll go with here. Early on, um, one of the conversations that I was having with uh, one of those CCHA crews, and, you know, I was trying to just pick their brains, pick their brains, pick their brains. And, you know, one of the referees, um, because by that time they were in the four-man crew already, you know, he said to me, there's no substitute for experience. You're going to mess up all kinds of things, but there's no substitute for experience. So go out and work games, even at times when you don't want to work games, because there's a skill to learning. Okay. You know what? I've had a crappy day. I have a game scheduled to do on a Thursday night and it's a Bantam game. And you know, how do I leave my personal baggage outside the rink? Like, forget leave it off the ice. I tell people, you got to learn how to leave it outside the rink. Right. Because there's a perception from the time you walk in the door, especially after a while, they get to know that you're the official. And if you walk in looking like, you know, you just lost a 10-round prize fight, you know, everybody's going to be a little concerned about how you're going to perform out on the ice. Um, so that was one piece of advice about, you know, getting as much experience as you can. Um, The other piece of advice that was really critical for me, and I've I've carried it well, is um, no matter how successful you get, stay humble. You know, because I think I'm a good official, but I'm certainly not the best official, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. And so, you know, I still learn nowadays i mean i i still have people who i have as email contacts and phone contacts and i'll ask them questions and whether they're retired officials whether they're active um you know in the nhl or minor professional or even guys who are have done nothing above high school hockey i will still ask them questions because they have a valid perspective they have experience and sometimes somebody who's even you know newer to the game than than myself i'll ask them questions because you just you 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 can always learn something. So you might as well stay humble and be ready to, uh, to learn from others. Yeah. You know, I think, because, sorry, go ahead, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, I think that's, that's great 
lesson for any of our viewers out there, whether they're younger or whatever, especially our younger uh, listeners, um, that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to own the mistakes, right? Absolutely. And, you know, us as coaches, as players, as officials, doesn't matter if we're outside the game, as an employee, doesn't matter. You're going to mess up, own it, and then don't learn how to do it right the next time, right? I, I tell you, Guy, you and I and some of the other refs have had some really good conversations after our games uh, or days later after the games and said, you know, hey, Sully, what, what did you think of this call? Give me your honest opinion. And, and we've talked it out. And it, it's like, well, I, I agreed with it or I disagreed with it or whatever. I mean, the time during the game is not the time to have that discussion. And I think more coaches need to understand that. that sure. dur- during the game is not the time to have that discussion. It's already happened. It's not going to be changed. So there's no point in trying to discuss what just happened. So I don't know, you know. why you're laughing. Well, we'll get we'll we'll get to that question soon. Don't worry about it. <laughs> now, along the lines of what you just said, mm-hmm. I, one of my my favorite stories of all time, really, as far as coaching goes, is when they have the uh, the the NCAA meetings in Florida, and guys will go for like a session or two, and then they go play golf or whatever. But to a man, every guy that's ever been to one says they've walked into into the uh, the meeting room, and you would find Red Berenson sitting front and center. And for those who don't know, Red Berenson, retired coach from University of Michigan, many year coach, player for the Detroit Red Wings as well, and the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> they're not they're they're not my favorite team in that location, so I, hey, I try not to mention them. Hey, sorry, Gui, we apologize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but it'd be like it'd be like grad assistants or be assistant coaches presenting and there'd be red sitting in front row and they'd be like, you know, he'd take meticulous notes and he'd be asking about a hundred questions, trying to understand what they were what they were trying to instruct on and just to better himself. And that to me just screams humility. And no matter how big you get, you can always learn. How good you get, you can always be better. So that's oh, absolutely. one of the things I thought about when you said that. So and you've officiated. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You want no, to continue? What I what I was going to say, um, just to tie in with that, was, you know, I have the luxury with uh, the WCHA. We get video files for every game that we do, and one of our supervisors' requirements is we go up to do a set that's a Friday night and a Saturday night game. After the Friday night game, before the Saturday night game, you're watching the full video. Um, of the Friday night game to see how things were on the ice. You know, it's always good to be able to go back and say, okay, you know, sometimes the camera's at your perspective, sometimes it's not, but where was I? What did I actually see? You know, how did all this play out? Not necessarily to make your, you second guess yourself, but just to to learn from it. And then obviously in the week that follows, I usually do it, um, a lot of the times I fly, so I'll do it on the plane uh, Sunday, watch the video of the Saturday game. But um, tying in with that, a piece of advice that I I didn't mention yet that I I tell all officials is if you have the chance to have somebody videotape you and now with all the technology, they can even use their cell phone, whether it's a teenage official, mom, dad, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. If you're an adult, your spouse, your buddy, whatever, have them videotape you for even if it's just 10 minutes or a period, not focusing on the play, but focusing on you as the official. And it's amazing how much you can observe and learn 
about where you are versus where you think you are, what you look like, you know, now you see how you like your signals look and all that sort of stuff to, to coaches, to fans, et cetera. Well, you know, why is everybody asking me what the penalty is? Well, cause nobody can read your signal and you see it and that's how you, you learn and get better. But yeah, like you were saying about Red Berenson, it's, it's, there's so much to learn and, you know, why not take advantage of it? So in all your levels of, of officiating from back in your days from doing youth games to high school, now NCAA, junior, all that, what has been your favorite level to officiate? Wow. I didn't know this, this if, was a comedy hey, show. I didn't if, know this was a comedy show. I don't know why he's laughing all the time. If he doesn't say uh, <clears throat> our level, the next time he's doing our game, like, oh, I know you don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was not the purpose. Oh, stop. You know, um, honestly, I – I think college has been my favorite level to officiate and that's, you know, every level as you get exposed to it, for me at least has been a challenge and it's, it's a new challenge and, you know, college is as high as I'm going. I have no illusions about that, but, you know, because it's still the best challenge for me, that's why it's my favorite. Um, Probably juniors would be close, not only because it's the next best level, but the differential for me, um, and I would separate, you know, tier one junior A, the USHL versus say tier two and tier three. Um, it's very close in the skill level. And, you know, most of those players go right into college hockey or, you know, some of them go to the OHL. Um, but I, I'm five foot seven. When I worked as a linesman, I hate breaking up fights of two guys who are six, three and can still be swinging over my head. And I'm trying to get them to separate spots. That was probably the thing that I liked least about junior <laughs> hockey was if I was lining and there's a fight, great. You know, I got to use everything in my, my skill book to figure out how to separate this guy. I mean, I, I ask questions about what's your favorite beer. Hey, is your girlfriend at the game? I've lied and said, my boss is there. Please don't make me look bad. You know, like, <laughs> you, know you get somebody who's, you know, 220 pounds and they're six foot three, they're 19 years old, full of testosterone. They could take me, drag me wherever they want to go. So I got to, I got to use some tools and some skills to get them to focus on me and, you know, get to the penalty box. Well, you, you've we've we've gotten to see you uh, do a lot of our games, rough a lot of big games, um, you know. And you, you obviously you always maintain a uh, professional conduct as an official. Um, but there's got to be some times where you just, you know, have either just started laughing. A player makes you laugh. A coach makes you laugh. Something goes on where that that conduct as that you know strict official kind of goes away. You know, can you give us some of your best stories, maybe one or two of your best stories that you, you can share with us about uh, things that have happened on the ice? Oh, boy. Um, I'm trying to think. What's what's the rating of our podcast? Just don't swear. <laughs> You'll be all right. Um, so I'll let you decide whether the first one you edit out or keep in. Um, I was doing a peewee game. Okay. Oh boy. And you can, sometimes you can tell like, okay, you're like the third sibling in line and somebody is 17 or 18 or 19 years old ahead of you. And, you know, play goes to the net. Um, a little bit of like 11 year old shoving each other back and forth, settle down, go to the lineup for a face off in the corner. 
and the wingers behind me are talking. And, you know, the ones like, you know, you go at my goalie again and I'm going to, you know, kick your da 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 And come, come back at him, the other winger, in this high-pitched, you know, pre-puberty voice. I'm not going for your goalie. I'm taking your mom next time. <laughs> 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 and I mean, the puck just fell out of my hand. I double over it. I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 good stuff man i, I mean you know i'll tell you what some of the things that you hear I, I mean people are very oh yeah people are very creative with their verbiage if you will you know? <laughs> nice. so um yes. well hey gee we thank you for coming on uh giving our listeners a little bit of a uh you know kind of a pathway of how to get uh, into the refereeing uh, uh ladder uh your path uh, with that you know one thing i can say to our listeners if you've uh, if you've met Guy, then you know the statement's true. If you've never met him, uh, let me tell you how true this is. Guy, you're a very relationable kind of guy, and that's huge in our game uh, because in so many games, there's uh, in so many sports, there's that belief that it's a team against a team against the referee. And having you be relationable with all of uh, the coaches and the players, uh, I mean, the players love, I can tell you this, uh, the players and coaches love when they see you on the li- on the list and a bunch of the, the other guys that do our games because you're relationable, you're fair, and uh, and I think that's a big part of of your group that you're molding right now. So we appreciate that. Well, thank you. I mean, I I enjoy it. I really, really do. I love being around the game. I mean, um, officiating side of the game, coaching side of the game. Every blue moon, playing a little drop in still. Moon's got to be blue. Yeah, but, right. Um, <laughs> no, hey, I'm looking I, I, outside. The moon ain't blue right now. He ain't playing. <laughs> no. I love being around it and in all aspects of it. And, um, you know, whatever we can do, in all honesty, to get more people into the officiating side just makes for a better game. Um, I think it I, – I tell players all the time, you know, if you get into the officiating side, you get a different perspective, a different understanding. In in most cases, it's going to help you as a player. In addition to your contributing and you know getting involved with officiating. So cool. All right. Well, thanks, Key. Nice talking to you. And appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Heading north of the border for our next guest, the director of officiating operations for the National Hockey League, Don Van Massenhoven. Our next guest is a seasoned veteran of 23 years in the National Hockey League. He's officiated 1,366 total games before he retired in 2014. Currently, he is the Director of Officiating Operations with the National Hockey League. Please welcome on air from Strathroy, Ontario, the Big Belgy, Don Van Massenhoven. Welcome, Don. Hey, Tim. Great, great to be with you. First of all, thanks for uh, coming on the show. We appreciate it. Um, hopefully I didn't butcher the, uh, your hometown too much, but, um, no, I think you almost said Strathroy, Ohio there. Eh? I, I did. Yeah. I didn't want to, I'm so, I'm so used, I'm so used to uh, okay. saying that here. So you said Strathroy um, good. Some people have trouble with that. So that, that was pretty well, good. And, well, truth be, told, I, to boot. truth be told, I, uh, I only practiced it about 35 times before we got you on. So, <laughs> all right, right, right uh, on. Hey, uh, Don, like most referees, you started as a player, you played for the Strathroy Rockets, 
out of the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League. And your relationship with that franchise has continued on over the years, correct? Yes. Uh, well, the interesting part, I'm, I'm originally from Park Hill. It's a small community about 15 miles north of Strathroy and farming community. And Strathroy is a bigger town, you know, 20,000. And I came in 1978 to Strathroy to play hockey and uh, met my wife and stayed here. And, and then, as you say, I got back involved with the team. Uh, I guess it was probably 2009. I, I, I was still, I was with the NHL. I was an on ice official with the NHL, but the, the Strathroy junior B team is a uh, not-for-profit team. If there's no owner, uh, so they, they rely on volunteers to, to run the team. So I, I got on the board of directors. I eventually became president for six years. And, you know, we had to raise money and get players. And uh, it was uh, really exciting. I actually enjoyed it. It was a lot of work, but it was good. Yep. Don, uh, you've officiated over your absolutely amazing career. You started in the, or one of the places you started was in the OHL. And at 25, there you are refereeing the Memorial Cup. I believe uh, Eric Lindros was playing in that game for Oshawa at the time. Um, we coach high school here in Cleveland. So yeah. we understand about the dialogue that goes on between the bench and the officials during the action. Do you have any tips for us on how maybe we could get the referees on our side? Man, we need all the tips we can get. <laughs> well, myself as an official, I my I was my goal was always to have the coaches on my side. So I would like to think I tried to teach that to our younger new officials that you want to have a rapport, build a rapport with the, not just the players in any sport. You want to have a rapport. Now that doesn't mean being their buddies. That just means being respectful and treating them with respect. But I really think if you have that rapport with the people that are standing behind them or in front of them and you know, depending on football, basketball, hockey, they stand behind. So from an officiating perspective, I tell our officials to build rapport. So I guess what I would say to a coaching person is to try to do the same. It's it's a little harder because, you know, if officials aren't always at the bench or at the boards or at the sideline, but any opportunity that you, I tell officials, any opportunity they have to build a rapport with the coaches and players, they should be doing that. Whether treating with, well, for sure, treating with respect, but just, Hey, how's your day going? Whatever. So I guess I tell the say the same to coaches. Try to realize the officials are just human beings, and they'll probably be shocked when someone says, "Hey, how you doing there, ref?" And they're like, "Oh, does he really care about me?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have a I have a quick question about uh, your time in the NHL. Did you have the same crew? Like, was it you and the same guys that that traveled together, or was it different guys? You know, no. different nights. Yeah, that's where hockey's uh, different than most of the other sports. So, like for sure, in uh, baseball, they travel as crews. We, we, uh, we've never done that except when we get to the playoffs during the season. We have so many different games and officials, so we interact with. Uh, you do travel a lot by yourself, but you you work with different guys. You might, you know, tonight work a game in Florida, tomorrow night work a game in Tampa, and go with the same same crew because you're in the vicinity. But then you would be off off to another city. Uh, Everybody, we work with all the officials. There's 68 NHL officials. You'd you'd work with all the guys over the course of the year. Come playoffs, we tend to put the guys as crews. Uh, just it, it does help to work with the same person over time. But we don't want guys uh, becoming so familiar with their partners that they can't you know work a game with anybody. So we try to mix it up. Right, right, okay. Uh, can you talk to us about who were some persuasive uh, NHL coaches or players that you interacted with? You know that's a that I have been asked a lot of questions. Who's my favorite coach? Who's my favorite? I've never been asked. I swear. I've never been asked. Who's 
persuasive. That's an interesting uh, persuasive. I think of a, a Pat Quinn, a legendary coach, uh, passed away to, several years ago uh, as a, a guy. Uh, you know, when he coached Toronto, he was such a big, booming, a big man, big presence, and a big, booming voice. And he could be persuasive if we're thinking of the word persuasive. <laughs> he certainly could get your attention. Uh, and he was the kind of guy that if you went over and talked to him, he, he'd make a point and you'd be like thinking, you know, you've got a point. Like if he was mad about a call, it's just, so I guess that would be a persuasive coach, persuasive player. Uh, I never really thought of it that way. That's an interesting, I, I, I found, I always refer to Joe Sackick, who is a GM in Colorado is a very respectful player, I guess persuasive. I, I've never question asked me well i i think right no i think i think respected and and persuasive could could be uh kind of in the same line because you know you like you said you could go talk to to quinn and and be like oh well you know what maybe, maybe there is a point there right maybe there is a, a an idea you know player like sakic is you know if he came up to an official and said hey listen you know you really gotta yeah watch this watch that so maybe because he's respective and i guess maybe the word persuasive Actually, uh, kind of go that's actually, that. no, but now that, you're telling, now that you're putting it that way, that makes him persuasive because of his respect and because when he talks to you, listen to him. So in that, when you put it that way, I, he totally is a persuasive player because of the respect value that he would get. Right. So I agree were, with that. Were there ever any guys that you just looked at and the minute they opened their mouth, you just said, go, go away? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got that. I kind of got to that point with uh, Claude Lemieux when he was playing with the New Jersey Devils. Him and I, uh, <laughs> we just couldn't get along. I, I very few players I couldn't get along with. And actually, years later, we uh, were in the same uh, play city after a game. He was playing with San Jose. And he bought me a beer and we you know, gabbed. And uh, it was just so it's funny. We But on the ice, for some reason, we couldn't quite get along. It wasn't too many that I, I couldn't get along with. I mean, you have to do your job. But, I, right. you know, I, I listen to people. <laughs> That's awesome. So in, in the game of hockey, it's most recent. Uh, one of the things they went to was the instant replay. Do you think that the instant replay makes the official's job harder or easier, easier or harder? Well, uh, not to give a political answer, but probably a bit of both. Uh, in this day and age with replay, you, you know, it, you have to have it. You can't not look at something that everyone at home can see and, and know what the obvious call is. Uh, and they, the poor officials, on the playing field or the ice don't know. So I think it's been a, a good thing for the game. Uh, having said that, I used to say, people used to ask me what was the biggest difference when I worked in the American Hockey League or the NHL, or I said, well, the, the scrutiny, and that's because of replay. In the American, uh, the minor leagues, you go about your business and you make a mistake and you're on to the next game. In the NHL, you make a mistake and you might be watching it on ESPN or TSN in Canada or Sportsnet for the next week <laughs> so replays are there and that's more and more there forever so you you just got to go about your job i think it's been more of an asset than a hindrance to be honest with you and i think the officials we've our guys have gotten accustomed to it and they can go over now coaches challenge look at the tablet we have parameters so it it's good because we've kept it tight the parameters of it we don't want it to become a crutch in something that they're doing all the time it's just there for especially goals and now this year we could use it for major penalties to confirm because the player might get thrown out of the game. Right. Good. That was actually was my other question of, of has it, did it almost get to a point where it was being used too much or it was getting too, I don't want to say ticky tack, but 
there were certain things that were that were being asked to challenge that you're like, really? Well, <laughs> that 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 kind of happened with the offside uh, goals and goal interference. Like it 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 kind of got overused initially because the only uh, deterrent to using it was a loss of a timeout. And hockey only get one timeout, so it's important. But it's a thirty second timeout. So then, uh, after a couple of years of the offside challenge, they implemented that you get a penalty if you challenge and you're wrong. Well, that cut our challenges in half, like right away, half, because that's a that's a deterrent. And then we did that for goaltender interference this year, and that cut that in half. So our, our challenges over the last couple of years have literally gone down in half just because there's a deterrent. It's not to say they don't want them to challenge, but don't, you know, you used to hear coaches say, and you're a coach, so you, you'd say, well, I might as well. And I used to think, well, but you're going to be wrong. So <laughs> you now it's not, oh, I might as well. It's, well. I got to be sure. And I think that's a little better standard. Right. And, and just so our, our listeners know that uh, if during the time when they were making a, uh, an instant replay and, and, and they got their timeout taken away, if they were correct, they got to keep their timeout and they still could do another yes. challenge. Yeah. Okay. You know, you're hot. You're very good. And same if they do a challenge and they correct, they they don't get a penalty. So right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That'd be right. Yeah. Um, there's always talk and, and we, you know, we can, we've talked to some NHL players. Uh, we've talked to some NHL coaches. Um, so this is going to be kind of like bringing the whole puzzle together. Um, there's always talk about getting rid of fighting in the game. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I'm probably an old uh, school kind of guy. I, the, the one thing I would say about fighting is everybody says fighting's allowed. Well, well, there is a penalty for it. I mean, you can say, well, yeah, right. it's still allowed. Yes, but you do get a five-minute penalty, and you have to go, you know, so – I've in the pro level, I, I still feel there there's a for it, but it's, it's so infrequent now. Uh, it's, I think, I think it's not, we're not that far away. There won't be, there isn't much fighting in the playoffs and I'm okay with it, but I don't, I don't really, uh, it wouldn't bother me one way or the other. If, if, if it wasn't, or it was, it's, it's, I think it's talked about more than more than it really is an issue. At least at our level, do you, do you I don't think, see any reason for it to be at the lower levels. Though. Right. Okay. That's what, that was going to be my question. So do you, so you still there is still a little bit of a place in the current game for it. So I was going to ask this question: Do you think it would be a little bit more of a acceptable acceptable place in junior hockey to kind of weed out some of the kids that you know I don't want to say aren't nah, it's, it's it's a bad question not tough enough but you know what I mean just yeah we we we've, changed that. There's still a tough game, but there's such a skill thing. I don't know the intimidation. I, I probably am not a fan of the, of the fighting at the younger at, at, at younger ages, teenagers and what have you. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's appropriate. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. We we talked to a former NHL player uh, in a previous podcast that said, you know, when when he is looking at junior players, uh, whether it's the OHL, whether it's the USHL, it doesn't matter. And and there's you know times when kids get you know punched in the face. Do you hate getting punched in the face or do you really hate getting punched in the face? And, you know, that's, that's yeah. a, you, you know. And that's probably why it'll always, well, it'll be, it's been part of hockey as long as it's been, I guess I shouldn't say always, cause you never know. But I mean, I played pickup hockey, I, beer league hockey and uh, somebody punches me in the face, probably going to get a punch back. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So you, you had fact, said that nobody's going to get a punch. I know he's going to get a punch back. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had said that the, the the fighting has diminished, so to speak, 
especially in the NHL, are, is it more of the um, just it just happens or, or that's decreased or is it still the setup, the setup fights? The setup fights have decreased. You got to remember that the teams carry a couple of enforcers. It was kind of a known thing. It wasn't illegal yeah. and everybody carried them. And now speed of the game and they roll the lines and the fact there isn't the guys, you know, you look at a guy like Ryan Reeves in Vegas, like he's a pretty skilled hockey player. He, he, you know, he's a fighter, but he, he's a good hockey player. Yeah. So I don't, you got the speed of the game and the skill level. There's just less, uh, there's just less just fighters around because it just, you can't have that on your squad taking up a lineup spot. I don't think. In all the calls that you've made in your career, would you ever say at any one point in time you had a makeup call? Oh man, you went there. <laughs> you you went there, didn't you, Lev? Uh oh. No makeup. Hey, I, I just well, want to know. I've seen I've seen you officiate, and I know you have not. I'm just going to go on record okay. and say I, that. I, I don't feel I have, but I guess there'll be somebody out there who think and there's a, there's always this perception. All I've ever said with people is you've got to when you make a call. That's probably one of the hardest things as an official when you make a bad call and you know you know you've made a bad call. Is not making a makeup call, not not yeah. making the worst by one mistake adding another. So, right. but it's hard because guilt is a hard thing, and you and you tell the young guys don't go there. Having said that, I will say that when you're doing a game, if you've made a bad call on a team, you say you missed a, a, an infraction you should have called. You sure as heck don't want to miss another one. You're not going to go call the other team for a penalty, but you don't. Yeah. You don't miss another like don't make two mistakes. So. That's that's not really a makeup call. That's just you know get on your game, so to speak. <laughs> right, right, right. All right, we're we're gonna play a little bit of a game here, if you don't mind. Uh, this is gonna be. I'm gonna give you some dates. I'm gonna get you give you some dates, and I want you to tell me what comes to your mind. All right. November 11th, 1993. Yeah, my first my first ever game in uh, National Hockey League in Boston, uh, Edmonton Oilers. A little bit of a backstory. I, do you want is this rapid fire or do you want to hear a story? No, no, I want to hear Tell some stories. stories. <laughs> well, I was in the American League, so I hadn't had an NHL game, and the officials were uh, in contract negotiations. So a change was made to the referee that was supposed to do the game. I can't remember who was supposed to do the game, and they called me to go to the game the day before. I was at home in Strathroy, and I was called to told to go to Boston. I remember saying to the girl that called from the office, uh, but that's Boston's NHL. I'm in the American League. Student. Well, you're doing an NHL game tomorrow, so <laughs> I'm two hours from the I'm two hours from the airport. So I had to pack my bag, get to the airport, and in, in a way, it was a good thing because I didn't have time too much time to think about the nerves. Uh, they came the next day. I was uh, nervous, but it was my first game. Pretty exciting. Right. All right. Uh, I don't know how this one's going to go, but November twenty fourth, two thousand five. November. Oh, my, my facial injury. Because yeah. our slap, listeners slap, need slap. to know, our listeners need to know that it's probably one of the most dangerous spot, spots on the ice is the ref. So that's yeah, the only reason why uh, I want to bring it up. I would, no, 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 no. I was in Florida. The Devils were playing there. I was against the Panthers. I was down in the corner. Uh, Sean Hill took a slap shot from the point. It was deflected at the top of the circle. And then instead of going to the net, it went on a 45 into the corner. I turned and as I turned my head, it hit me right between the eyes. Oh my god. If I had a puck, I could put a puck right up against my face. There's a they did an amazing job, but it it hit my forehead so hard, it caved in my whole forehead. Uh found this all out when I went to the hospital. I was fully conscious. I remember everything except the 
when I went out for surgery. But I remember going to the hospital. I remember the doctor telling me that I had a life-threatening injury because my septum bone was pressing against my brain. They had to, they were going to open me up. They were going to have to remove that. They didn't know what would happen. Uh, it's quite a story. And it ended up, I was in intensive care for a week. Um, stayed in Florida for three weeks, couldn't travel. Had a friend of mine and my wife flew down and they had to drive me home. Uh, it was the most catastrophic injury that we've ever had as a National Hockey League official. Up until Pat DePuzo, a few years later, got cut with a skate blade. Mm-hmm. And he, his whole face was cut open, which was a gruesome injury, too. January 9th, 2010. January 9th, 2010. That would be my 1,000th game. We have a thing in the National Hockey League. Our players, when they play their 1,000th game, they get it recognized, and we do that for our officials. And the teams are really gracious. We actually, uh, the, the official, when he knows he's going to work his 1,000th game, can pick the city he'd like to work in, and they can have his family. Your family goes out on the ice with you, which after all the traveling and the time away, to have your act, my, my two daughters didn't care about hockey. I guess they were... 20 and 17 at the time. They didn't really care about hockey, but they thought it was pretty cool to be standing down on the ice. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins are playing there. And Sidney Crosby came over to shake their hand, and they thought that was pretty cool. But it's a real – and another part about that is my wife had uh, just been diagnosed with breast cancer, so many people don't know. She had actually just finished her chemo. So uh, I got that picture right up on the wall up here in the back, uh, back corner, my wife uh, without her hair. Uh, it was it's 10 years ago. You've been clean for 10 years, so it's a pretty uh, special moment for everybody. Right. Well, I, I can guarantee any of these accomplishments that I'm reading come second to what <laughs> you just said right there with that accomplishment yeah, of I, 10 years. I agree so. with that. Yep. Uh, all right, last one here. Uh, obviously, this won't be easy for you. April 4th, 2014. My uh, final game in Detroit, and that's another thing with the uh, – when we decide to retire, the league's pretty good about letting us uh, pick our final city. Uh, my thousand game was in Toronto. Uh, I'm, I'm right in between Toronto and Detroit. I'm two hours to Detroit, two hours to Toronto. So I picked Toronto, but for my final game, the Joe Lewis, uh, had a, I really enjoyed working there and I thought I'm going to do my final game there. And, uh, I had, well, the other backstory on that was I told a few close friends about the game and they went, I had, I think I had six or eight people that were going to go and word got around town. And, um, and then up 75 people came to the game. Uh, and I have this great picture. I, after the game, I went out on the ice. When the players, everybody was gone. The ice was flooded. They, I went out on the ice with the 75 people, and we did, did a big dog pile picture like they do when they win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> me lying on the front of the ice. And it was pretty cool. Uh, somebody talked to the arena and got it. They came and got me in the room, referee room and said, uh, we're doing a picture on the ice. All these, I didn't even know there was more than eight to ten people there. I walked out and it's kind of overcome by emotion. It's funny because when, when we were doing research for you, I saw that picture and I couldn't oh. get over, I couldn't get over how big of a man you are. And then I, <laughs> and then I looked it up and it says six foot five. And I remember I was reading an, an interview you did where someone asked you how tall you were. And you said, well, technically I'm six, five, but with the skates, I'm probably about six, nine. Yeah. I get asked all the time how tall the skates and I, I never measured it. It's about four yeah. inches. So yeah. Yeah. I could, uh, Talk there, big Eric Lindros, eye to eye. Uh, I had to look up a little <laughs> bit for big Z, Sedano Chera. Uh, not too much, though, but a little. <laughs> well, when Tim read off the November 11th date, um, was there a different feeling between doing your first NHL game as opposed to doing your first playoff game? 
Yeah, uh, you're really uh, you're nervous for the playoff game, but you've been around. By the time you when you finally get playoffs, you've already worked in the league and you get games, and you're kind of the epitome of your career is to get into the playoffs. So, to ju- the the first game uh, was really ner- I was really nervous looking back on it. I know I was part of my English scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> Until the game got going. So it wasn't that way for my playoff game. I was nervous, excited, nervous. But uh, first, the first game, I was pretty bad. And got to remember, when I started, there was only one referee, uh, one referee, two linesmen. So you were a young referee. Uh, you had your linesman, but there wasn't another referee to bail you out. <laughs> so, all, all eyes were on you. Right, right. <laughs> So, uh, 2014, uh, you retired from on ice officiating. Um, you are now currently, you serve as the director of officiating operations for the NHL. Can you just tell our listeners and ourselves what responsibilities you have in that role? Well, when I retired, my, Stephen Walcom is the uh, director of officiating vice president and him and I have been uh, peers and colleagues on the ice and, and good friends. And he offered me this role uh, it was basically created for me in a way, I guess you could say. Um, director of fishing operations. I I do everything that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> everything from scheduling. Um, we have uh, supervisors, officiating managers, we call them. They I schedule them. I approve their expenses. I I scout. I go out and scout officials. I go out and coach officials. I watch games. We do two memos every week. I do all those memos. Uh, or help with Stephen actually. Anything that you can imagine, if they uh, get a request from uh, a fan club that they want our officials to go, I talk to the officials. So, I don't know, I, all the administrative stuff of the department, uh, other than we have uh, Taryn, or, uh, Taryn Daneman in Toronto that I work closely with that helps me with all that stuff. But I get to go to games. I go to a lot of games. I, I scout and I still interact with all the guys. That's probably the, the most fun part of the role. Do, do you Do you scout – referees to be or do you do you are you watching and i don't want to say evaluating but watching and 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 helping with current officials in, in uh, helping and watching help, helping and watching with current affiliates and evaluating because we have to evaluate yeah. we have to coach them but we have to evaluate for uh, playoffs and move, who gets picked for the playoffs and so we have a whole scouting uh staff we have six officiating managers under the under al kimmel he's our director of development and they just strictly focus on the OHL, Western Hockey League, Quebec, the NCAA leagues in the U.S., uh, American Hockey League. They're out scouting for officials. We have a scouting staff looking for future officials. Okay, so in in the, the I guess the, the way the game has changed so much, you're starting to see more personalities of the players, be it through social media or or different public things that they have to do. Um, does the league like for the officials to show more of themselves? I.e., like say, like a, a Wes McCauley, how he gets a little more animated. But you see the personality of the guy, and I know the. Oh well, league- yeah, so no, well, hey, I'm really good friends with Wes. I uh, I talk to Wes pretty well every day of the week. Wes just loves talking. Uh, he just him and I talk hockey all the time, even though we don't have hockey on right now. He called me this morning. We talk hockey, talk, talk twice yesterday. <laughs> so uh, he's he's a unique guy, and he is what you, you know is what you see. He's just a really passionate guy. It's not something that's encouraged per se. Uh, I, I'm old school. Officials are you know better to be uh, seen but not heard, so to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but it works for West. 
yeah. I don't know if it's ever worked like that for any of other other guys. Wes is really just really it's really sincere. I I, I was at the actual the well three years ago the first game that he decided to add a little flair to one of his announcements was in San Jose. I was at the game supervising or managing and they had a goal. He had a coach's challenge and he came over and I was on the headset up. He was talking with me and came to the conclusion he was going to count the goal, which was going to count for the San Jose Sharks. And he, he came off the headset. You've seen numerous ones, but this was the first one really. And he, uh, he did the old uh, after video review. We have a goal. (laughs) The place went wild. I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I, and since then, so I got to see it firsthand and, but it, it's not a common thing, and it, I don't know that it's encouraged uh, with other people. But Wes just seems yeah. to be able to handle it. <laughs> right. Well, I think I think I think the last guy with flair was maybe Carrie Fra- Frazier with uh, how his hair never moved, no matter what <laughs> yeah, was going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, and again, officiate. You know, I take the approach. I think all officials probably should. That we're part of the game in the sense that we're needed for the game, but we are not the game, and we don't want to be the center of focus. But again, right. Wes is different because he does. He's just passionate about what he's doing. He, 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 his announcements are passionate. Really, he's not trying to be showy. He's just passionate. <laughs> I, I, I remember the one vividly where, where he, it was a, uh, uh, I believe both players were given roughing minors, and, and he said so and so for this. A, so yeah, the, the, the almost the karate chop. I was literally in tears yeah, just laughing watching yeah, that. Yeah, like that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> Well, it is. It is, and like I said, we don't. We don't. You know, his personality suited for it, so yeah, we leave it with him. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was more difficult of a job you've ever had? Was it dealing with uh, NHL coaches and players, or possibly selling cars during the uh, 04 lockout? <laughs> <laughs> you know, selling cars was tough. My my buddy Dale uh, Werfel, that owns the car dealership, offered me that job, and thank God for it because we had no income and uh, I did really well. I, I sold, I was salesman of the month six or seven times. I sold a lot of cars, <laughs> but I gotta be honest. It was a little tough. Uh, people that you, everybody thinks the salesperson's pulling the fast one on the customer, but the customers, uh, some of the customers were trying to pull a fast one on me. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it was, they tell you something about their car. And then when you put it up on the hoist, it wasn't quite what, they told you but anyway i i was it was an eye opener uh i'm glad i did it it was uh and it worked out good but i'll stick with the i stick with the refereeing yes hey don uh you are in uh and were and still will always be a very respected official uh in your years in the okay. nhl Thank you. what is something that you are probably most proud of of yourself and i know these are tough questions to answer because you know you know, you're a very humble guy it, 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 as I'm listening, but something that you're very proud of yourself in the game of hockey and, and your career. Uh, you know, I think when I look back, I mean, the whole thing is just, it's a dream. Like you get to be in the National Hockey League 23 years as an official, and then I get hired afterwards. And now it's been six years I've been in this role. I'm still in the game. So I'll be hitting 30 years in the NHL. I grew up, I live in Strathroy, but I grew up in Park Hill. It's population 1100. It's a farm. I grew up in a, a pig farm. A lot of people don't know. I, I slopped the pigs. <laughs> and 
I got to say that, you know, getting into the NHL in 1993, there was only single referee back then. And uh, there was only 13 NHL referees. There was Kerry Fraser, Bill McCreary, Harry Gregson, Dan Marawelli, uh, Paul Dvorsky, Mark Fawcett. I know I should have the list in front of me, but it was a small group, like 13. And then the league expanded. They added Tampa Bay and Ottawa. So they, they had two spots. And Stephen Walkham and I both were promoted. So it went to 15. So I was one of, I guess, if I had to look at it, to be, to be in the National Hockey League alone, but to be one of 15. We only have 34 now. That's a small group. But at the time, one of 15 NHLs, that was a really small group. I would, I'm pretty proud of that. That's a pretty, uh, pretty elite group to get to be part of. Absolutely, and, and you should be. And, and I, I want to share something uh, with our listeners. Hopefully, you don't mind this, but um, you know, as we did, as we did some research, um, you know, there was, and just to, I want just the listeners to know what kind of guy you are. There was a, a time uh, during your your time with the Strathroy Rockets, um, and I don't have the young man's name. Uh, but you you wanted to swap out a player bio in the in the program, and you, you sent it off to uh, the guy that was doing your um, your co- or your your whatever programs programs programs. Scott. Yeah, Scott. And and it was revealed later that you were going or the kid was going to be released the following week. But you knew that his grandfather was coming to watch him play junior hockey, and and you wanted this kid his bio in there so he that you know make the young man feel like a big shot in front of his grandfather for the first time um Mm -hmm. you know just when i when i was reading that story i was like i got to bring this up to our listeners so our listeners know that this big six foot five guy with that nice thick mustache that does a lot of uh, all the nhl gears my pandemic (laughs) gears yeah um you know truly thinks about the players first and and i just think that's a great story well, Scotty would know that story. Uh, you know, the interesting part about not only that, the uh, interesting, interesting, maybe not the right word, the enjoyable part about running the hockey team was the interaction with the young players uh, and getting to see them have the excitement of making, but then on the foot, you know, making a team, but then if they're caught in, oh my, there's such emotions and it's tough, but my wife and I started billeting. We, we didn't have enough billets, uh, out-of-town players. There wasn't enough uh, people in town taking them in, so we decided to take in a player, and we had two players. At one point, we had three players, uh, so we billeted for four or five years. We uh, had at least two players with us, and I had two daughters, and my daughters are amazing. But to me, they were like sons, and to this day, a couple of them, I still get I get uh, birthday texts, Father's Day texts. My wife, Chris, gets uh, messages from them, happy birthday, and that's pretty cool. So when you can develop a relationship with uh, young people like that, and they, uh, you can help them, help them along the way. Right. I, I'm, I'm going to be a fan, a fan for a second, and imagine that I'm going away to Strathmore to play, <clears throat> and and my friends ask me, so where where are you living? Who's your who's your billet family? He's an NHL referee. Holy cow! <laughs> that's got to just uh, that, that had to that, be- That's kind of pretty much happened. The funny part, I was the president, and I was still on the ice. So then. We'd have uh, players try out, and the general manager was a very good friend of mine. The head coach was a good friend of mine, and they would have me come in when they would, you know, players just want to make the team, so they meet the coach, they meet the jam, and then I would come in as a president and congratulate them and 
it was priceless to see because the parents would be there and it would be like, oh, this is our president, Don Van Massenhoven. And then you'd see them kind of look. Uh, 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 are you the NHL referee? <laughs> yeah, <I'm there. laughs> and it was never failed. And then when, then when, well, then when we billet a couple, it was kind of the, the running joke on the team. Then oh, we used to have five or six billets a year. We we took two of them, so there was always a bit of a fight as to which kids got to come to our house. <laughs> so, we had a big house back then. I downsized since then. We had a lot of room, so we had that was many times we had eight or nine or ten of them over there uh, hanging out in the basement playing video games, and that was okay. I knew yeah. where they were then. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and when you were coming up as an official, obviously you were receiving advice um, as you, as you got on in your career you were giving advice and now evaluating, you're also giving advice. What would your sales pitch be to a young f- former hockey player to get them to consider becoming an official? Well, that would be the sales pitch. Consider becoming a hockey official. Uh, <laughs> hockey player, like when you play hockey, you're part of a team, you're part of the camaraderie, you enjoy going to the rink, the dressing room, the chatter. That's in officiating. We, we, uh, when Stephen Walken took over the department, he, he put emphasis on team. We call ourselves, uh, before Vegas, we were the 31st team. Now we're the 32nd team. We run our training camp like a team. We do team uh, building drills. The guys travel. So we've hired a lot of ex high-level ex-players that have come from NCAA or OHL in the last few. And we've, we run a combine every uh, August. We're not going to run it this year, obviously, with uh, things where they are. But we've been running that in August uh, and it's geared for ex hockey players, 20 from 18 years old to 26 in that range where they're going to be done hockey and how do they stay involved in the game? So consider it. It's a way to stay involved in the game. And if you can, we've had some guys that didn't had never officiated came to that combine. We have little exhibition games set up and they, they just, they were naturals and they're, they're in the American hockey league now. Like they've, they've only, didn't even have any experience, but they love it because they're in part of a team. They're back part of a team. They're part of the camaraderie of being part of a team. People don't think of that about a fi- Now, at lower levels, it's harder because you're, but at our, our NHL officials, we consider ourselves a team and there's 68 guys. So it's a big team, but it's a team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Don, we, we want to uh, thank you. We can't thank you enough for taking the time today to talk to us and, and giving us a little bit of the insides of, of what exactly you're doing now in your current role. Uh, we all had the uh, privilege to watch you as we were uh, watching the NHL uh, years ago. So uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, and I know our listeners will really enjoy uh, hearing uh, what you what you had to say. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And um, let's hope that we get some hockey going here in another month or so. That's the hope. That is the hope. Thanks. Thanks, Don. Talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Tim. Jason, thank you. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. Find out how to try out for a junior hockey team in your area at usphl.com. Well, what a, what a show today, Jay. It was nice to talk to Guy Bradshaw on the local side of it here in Ohio uh, when it comes to the refereeing uh, episode, if you will. And then being able to talk to a uh, legend in the NHL uh, refing, uh, Don Van Massenhoven, and getting to learn a little bit about his career, getting to learn a little bit uh, about uh, what, his, what he's doing now uh, with the NHL. 
Well, we hit both. Basically, we hit every end of the spectrum from, like we say at the beginning, from youth and high school to junior college and pro. Um, Guy's always great to talk to. Obviously, being a guy from the area, we know him well, and he's he's a very fair official. He's a very good man. Um, it was cool to to learn, I guess how how to go about more or less how to go about getting started. And then on the flip side, you have a legend of the NHL in in officiating in Don Van Massenhoven, and for he's just a teddy bear of a man. And and when you told that story. Uh, about when he was the president of the junior team in Strathroy that you saw some emotion come over his face and that just speaks to the the kind of person that he is and I know there were other stories and things that we couldn't get to for time uh, restraints whatever but I mean he was on the ice with Wayne Gretzky and he has a great story about being on the ice with Mario Lemieux and those are guys we grew up watching you know, a lot of people started playing hockey because of those guys. And I guess a testament to his career, and he even went in to say it is, is seen and not heard. You don't really recognize the referees, but you get that big six foot five frame and that big mustache going, and you knew you saw him from somewhere. And and to put the face with the mustache and, and all that, it again, another instance where it was, yeah, we have uh, questions to ask him, but it was more of just get him to talk. Right. You know, I think, and again, I mean, you know, he made a statement to us, and I think Guy kind of made a similar statement. Um, and this might be a perfect time, uh, especially in what we're going through right now in this uh, COVID era. Uh, and we're finally trying to get back to being somewhat normal. And we can't be normal in the game of hockey or baseball or football or whatever game it is. We can't be normal unless we got those officials or umpires or referees, whatever they're called for their sport that are helping us get out there and play. And they are a major part of our game. They're a major part of any game. And, you know, we, we, we really need to get the the word out there to coaches and parents and players that, you know, they are a team as well, as he mentioned, they're a team and their team wants to do the best that they can. They want to be the best team. And in order to be the best team, they're going to go out there and do the fairest job that they can. And so I think now in this time, and I don't, you know, not to get too into it, but, you know, maybe we step back and take a look at these referees or umpires and say, all right, this is a team as well. And they're going to try to perform as best as they can, just like my team. Yeah. Instead of always thinking, <laughs> instead of always thinking that they're out to get us or they're out to do this and that they're trying to just be the best team on the ice or on the field in their respective spots. Yeah. And they're, they're human beings just like we are. You know, how many times you hear a player say, you know, that 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 ref blew that call or that that um blew that strike or whatever the heck it was. He didn't make the right call. Well, how many times are those referees skating around going, man, that kid missed that pass. Man, that kid uh, missed that shot. Or missed, he missed his missed the net. Def- right. defensive responsibility, whatever it may be. We all make mistakes. We're all out there for the betterment of the game. We are truthfully, we're all one big team slash family in, in the hockey community. But, yeah, you're right. I mean. Take that step back. There's three teams on the ice, and each one's trying to do the best they can. And it was just, I mean, I, I know we spoke uh, this morning when we were together that this kind of geeked out about having Don on the show. Yeah. And sure. it was really cool to listen to him. I mean, there's 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 an NHL official right there. And obviously we've known Gee for so long that 
hey, we're hanging out there, buddy geek. And, and they both tell, it, it's no different than us talking about hockey from our point of view, our perspective. They're telling it from the same perspective, just with their spin on it. It was really, I, I enjoyed today greatly. So did I. And I really, I really liked the, the message that um, Don and both Guy sent uh, in, in today's uh, podcast. I really did. I thought it was a great message and it's one that needs to be heard. So, well, the clock is hit zero. The horn has sounded. Uh, episode 11 is in the books, gentlemen. Special thanks to our guests, referee Guy Bradshaw and Don Van Massenhoven for joining us. Come back next week when we'll be joined by, from the Ohio Hockey Project, Russ Sankiewicz. We'll be back with a preview of this summer's Futures Hockey League participants. And from the ACHA Division I Ohio University Bobcats, we will talk with graduating senior Tyler Harkins. Sure to be a good show and a good talk with these guys. Look forward to that. Uh, Jay, I know you got a guy coming that is from your alma mater, OU. So that's going to be a good talk. Uh, And again, and again, look forward to listening to Russ uh, about his future program. You can find the on-air podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episodes, archives, as well as a list of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Continuing to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. Just waking up in the morning, gotta thank God. I don't know, but today seems kind of odd. No barking from the dog, no small. And mama cooked the breakfast with no hog. I got my grub on, but didn't dig out. Finally got a call from a girl I want to dig out. Hooked it up for later as I hit the dope. Thinking, will I live another 24? I gotta go, cause I got me a drop top. And if I hit the switch, I can make the drop. Had to stop at a red light. Looking in my mirror, not a jacker in sight. And everything is alright I got a beat from Kim And she could do it all night Called up the homies and I'm asking y'all Which part are y'all playing basketball? Get me on the court and I'm troubled Last week messed around and got a triple-double Freaking brothers every way like MJ I can't believe today was a good day